Now that we've received the deep and profound revelation of what Karl Barth says, who's one of my favorites, God's decisive no, he calls it, which released his eternal yes over us, aiming exclusively at our original identity and only our works as a means to get to identity, we must discover our adequate response to that, okay? So to understand the incarnation, the word became flesh, okay? To understand the incarnation as an act of God to draw out of us undiluted original identity, to understand that, but then to respond with the works of our hands is to make whatever understanding we have of the incarnation in vain, okay? So, so this is what I said last night, the next hurdle that you and I are going to have to take, okay? The first hurdle, and this is going to be a little bit of review from last night, the first hurdle that you and I in the West, in America, in the South, that we've been so blessed to be a part of, are going to have to make is the understanding that the whole of history, the entire history as it relates to us and as it relates to God, is not about our actions that piled up a debt It made God angry, and in that anger, he wanted to kill to be happy again. It has never been and never will be about what we do. That is not what the story of history is. And I really broke this down in like an hour and a half last night. But none of the history, none of this book, none of anything that has to do with us and God has ever been about our actions, okay? So I walked through this last night. For example, we think in the West, we think that the fall was because Adam took a piece, a bite of a piece of fruit he wasn't supposed to eat. I've eaten stuff I'm not supposed to eat, right? You know what I'm saying? And so, but, but we think that Adam and Eve took a bite and suddenly, boom, doom and destruction. You know what I'm saying? No. Here, the fall, just to clear this up, and I use that word very, very, very loosely, um, fall, the, the delusion was not taking a bite of a piece of fruit. The delusion was when the enemy comes into the story and says, if you do blank, you'll be blank. Y'all with me? So the enemy comes in and says, if you go eat of that, you'll be like God. They were already like God. They had inherited like God. They didn't do anything to get like God. But they agreed with the idea, if I do this, I will become or be this. That's the fall, not the bite. The bite was a fruit of that. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So when there, when there was this veiled mindset that entered into the picture, suddenly we read a story all throughout the Old Testament of every single person trying to earn an identity that, oh, by the way, they already had, which is called delusional, right? It's thinking that you don't have something, or in this case, that you are not something that you really are. So that's why a lot of scholars call the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the tree of I am not. It's because before that bite, before that agreement with that idea that produced that bite, before that, all they knew was what I am. They were naked and unashamed, had no clue, didn't care. 
You know what I'm saying? But suddenly when they agreed with an idea, if I do this, I will be this, and then they operate in it and their actions fail, they're suddenly hiding from God. And God when knew they fail. When they fail, and I, again, I hate using that language, but I'm using it just because that's what we're familiar with. But when they fail, God did not say, dear Lord, they're separated from me now. I can't go talk to them anymore. No. You know what God did? Came and found them. Hello. You know what I mean? Well, brother, sin separates us from God. Where's that? Because a couple generations later, we got Enoch before the law, before Jesus, before David, before Moses, before all of it. We have Enoch who is in such intimacy with God in a fallen state that he is so intimate with God that God takes him. So obviously they're not separated. Hello? You know what I'm saying? Well, brother, sin separates I told somebody this yesterday. I said, um, you know, do you believe sin separates us? Absolutely, sin separates us from God. That's amazing. That's amazing. Do you believe that Jesus has ever been separated from the Father? This is a legit question. Do you believe that Jesus at any point in time has ever been separated from the Father? You can't believe that because Paul says that the entire fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ bodily which is Father, Son, and Spirit. So Jesus has never been separated from the Father. But if sin separates us from the Father and Jesus has never been separated from the Father, what do you do when Paul says Jesus became sin? Cricket? Exactly. That's my point. And so what we have done is we've made the entire gospel about we're crud because of what we've done and the way that we don't be crud is by doing better things. And Jesus did not come to teach us how to do better things. The cross was not to pay a debt. A debt didn't exist. We'll prove it. Second Corinthians says that God was in Christ reconciling the world, not keeping a debt of people's sins. There was no debt of sins because God wasn't keeping a debt. So Jesus did not come to the cross to pay a debt. Jesus came to the cross to remind us, this is really who you are and you forgot it. You know what I'm saying? Well, brother, how are you going to preach that gospel? I'm going to preach the gospel because it's the same gospel that Athanasius, Origen, and the early church fathers were beheaded for. They weren't beheaded for a gospel that said, if you do this, you'll be a great person, and when Jesus comes and raptures you away, you'll be in heaven. They were not preaching that gospel. That's not a gospel. That's not a gospel at all. That's Platonism. That's Gnosticism, but it is not Christianity. (laughs) I'm doing a lot of damage right now, and it feels amazing. So, do you know what I'm saying? I love this, but this is not what we're doing. Well, brothers, we're ready for the rapture. Thank God they passed. Uh, people are doing abortions. Homosexuals are getting married, but praise God the rapture's coming. Nope. No, 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 no. God is awaiting for the church to be manifested as sons and daughters of God so that creation can stop losing its mind. The reason everybody around us is losing their mind is because the church who's supposed to have their mind has lost their mind, and we've called it having our mind. Jesus said last night, I read this last night, and if you missed it, please, Lord, go back and listen to it because I'm not going to spend the whole day recapping. But Jesus gives this parable. He says, if your eye is healthy the way that you think, then your body will be full of light. And then he ends that parable looking directly into the eyes of the Pharisees, and he says, you better make sure that the light within you is not actually darkness. He's saying, you need to make sure that what you, de- what you define as light within you did not come by way of a works-based gospel, which is your eyes being unhealthy, which is actually darkness. So the Pharisees were double, I said this last night, were double delusional. They, they were in the dark, fully believing they were in the light. So when Jesus comes as authentic light that there's not a shred of darkness in, they see Jesus' light, and his light doesn't look like their darkness that they have called light. Therefore, they see his light as darkness and their darkness as light. And that's why Jesus is so against the Pharisees and not so against the prostitutes. 
The prostitutes weren't the sinners that Jesus called. Jesus called the sinners the Pharisees. Because sin is not what you do. Sin is your identity or lack thereof. The Pharisees had no clue who they were. At least the prostitutes knew exactly who they were, which is why when Jesus came into the picture and called them to be actually who they were, they had no issue saying, amen, let's follow. The Pharisees heard the call, come follow me and be exactly what I am, which is exactly what you are. And they said, let's kill him. We can't have that spreading around. That's exactly what the Western church is doing today. They'll hear a message of the victory of Jesus that was so total at the cross that in, the enemy has been stripped, Paul says, of all power and authority. Sin is a dethroned monarch, it says in the Passion Translation. So this is what Jesus has done. On the cross, a totality, a finishing, right? And yet in the West, we see, if we're all being honest, we see the cross as the empowerment of the devil. Because, because now, now that our sins have been paid, brother, you better make sure you get your act straight. As if, the, as if now that our sins have been paid, now that our debt, that people like to say, has been paid, now that, that uh, the cross has happened and we're covered and drenched in blood so that when God gets real angry, he can look and see the blood of Jesus on us and feel better about him being angry, what we believe, right? Instead of that, suddenly we're beginning to inherit a revelation that the cross had nothing to do with actions. It went through actions to get to what he was aiming at, absolutely. But what he was aiming at was not you and I not looking at pornography. He was aiming at the lack of identity within us that we had so bought into that it manifests itself in shrinking down to the level of I need to look at pornography to feel better about myself. Uh-oh, which is amazing news for anybody struggling with that. Because now, as I said last night, when Jesus comes to aim at the addiction, if we find our identity in what we do, we'll misconstrue his aiming at the addiction and think that he's actually aiming at us. He is not. He's aiming at the addiction, which stands in between us being who we are and who he is. So, so now, when judgment falls on me, it's amazing. I can sing, you're a fire, I want to be consumed. I want to be tried by fire, purified. You take whatever you desire, Lord, here's my life. I want to sing that because none of his burning has anything to do with me. It has everything to do with purifying me from the stuff that doesn't belong in me. Right? But if I see my identity as tethered to what I do when he comes after the stuff that I do because it's not who I really am, I'll see him as coming after me. And this is where theology has come from in the West. Let me, let me, let me just, man, because we're not live streaming, so y'all, I can just do, this is why I love this. Okay, y'all good? Y'all with me? I'm on fire this morning. So I, I just feel it in my guts right now. When, when there, there is, I told Matt this this morning. There's a, uh, when you're, hermeneutics is the, the way that you study the Bible. It's the way that you know the Bible, interpret the Bible. It's hermeneutics. So when you're doing hermeneutics, there is a law that says you interpret the unclear text with the clearer text. So if there's a text in Scripture that kind of doesn't fit, does, it doesn't seem like it makes sense, you take the text that absolutely makes sense, and that begins to make sense of that which doesn't seem to make sense. Y'all with me? Okay, so pay attention to this. So St. Augustine, three, four hundreds AD, what is considered the father of the West, us, St. Augustine. 
I've read his writings, and I've said this before. He had a very weird, weird obsession with Plato. Weird. I have some of it written down in my book, or in his book, in case anybody ever is like, what are you talking about? And it's, it is weird. Like, on the board, it's bordering, like, odd. Hey, what's up? And uh, everybody say, hey. Everybody say, hey, so we can all focus again. Hey, what's up? They're here. People are walking in. Amazing. Now, focus back. All right. Okay? Okay? Like, whoop. You're going to miss this. So I, want you to, I, just, I just want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. So St. Augustine, all right, hermeneutic law, you interpret the unclear text with the clear text, okay? So when St. Augustine was making a decision, and I use saint very loosely, God forgive me, but when St. Augustine was uh, determining how to view Scripture, what lens hermeneutically to view the hermeneutics of Scripture for, he used the parable of the separation of the sheeps and goats. And he said, that is the most clear text that we have, which, by the way, he takes entirely out of context. But the separation of the sheeps and goats, okay? Which, in the West, we say the separation of the sheeps and goats is God takes the good people with the good actions and places them here. He takes the bad people with the bad actions, who we need to be very cautious with this, because Jesus said the bad people with the bad actions were the religious people, not the prostitutes. So, so here's the ironic part. Religion interprets what I'm about to say, and they're the goats. They're not the sheep. That felt good saying that. So, um, but he said, you got the sheep over here. They're the good people. They're amazing. They do awesome stuff. They're, they're Calvinist. You got over here, okay, and here are the people who believe God still speaks. You know, I'm, I'm being very sarcastic. But here's the, the goats, and God's going to burn the goats forever, and he's going to bring them into a mystical platonic heaven forever, and this is going to be reality. That was Augustine. That's how he viewed everything, which is why we in the West have that theology at the core of everything that we do, primarily hell, not Jesus, hell, primarily. So Athanasius, though, was the early church father, the main one, of the East, and do you know, let me just, let me just, 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 just read it so y'all don't take it from me. Do you know what Athanasius said is the clear text that we are to determine everything else that is unclear in Scripture by? You want to hear it? Are you sure? Here's what he said. He said this, just as through the disobedience of one man, all were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, all will be made righteous. So you have the Eastern church who views the cross as Jesus saying, I have come to fix what you thought you messed up which is not the actions, which is not the bite. It's the mindset that said, if I do this, I'll be this. The law was never about you doing something to earn an identity. The law was a covenant that because you had already been given that identity, you were now in with God himself. God wrote the covenant with his finger. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't, it wasn't a legal, which by the way, John Calvin, the other most predominant influence in the West was a lawyer. It was not a theologian, he was a lawyer, right? And so we have this, this lawyer mentality, religious gospel that says, if you do the right things, you're off the hook. But if you do the wrong things, you're put in prison and you're punished. 
This is our gospel, right? When you have the east, which, oh, by the way, the Bible is an eastern book. You have the east over here that's saying, no, 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 no. Something happened in Christ that reminded us of who we are again. And when he said it is finished, something was finished that was not just you have more blood so that you can look at the computer and maybe you won't do it again. No, no, no. It was, like I said last night, it was to fix the mind's eye, the ophthalmos, okay? The mind's eye, the way that you perceive, the way that you think. He came, and I said, let me just use the example because most of y'all weren't here last night. Let me use the example. Okay, how many of you, and just while we're talking about pornography, because 99% of the people in the room struggle with that. So, when, when right, and that's okay, that's fine, we're going to fix it, that we're going to fix it, but that's just statistically. So, when, see, some of y'all are offended when I said that. That's fine, just, you're not, you're the 1%, just, you know, it's fine. But, um, when, when, right, you can look at something on the computer, you can look at something on the computer and lust. And Jesus said, if you look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery, Right? How many of you know you don't have to be looking at a computer? You don't even have to be looking at a woman to look at a woman and commit adultery in your heart. Right? You know that, right? Y'all know. Y'all know. And so um, what Jesus is saying is, I didn't come so that you won't, with your eyes, see the wrong stuff. And religion's always said, you need to be careful what you look at. And I'm telling you, you need to be careful how you think. Because how you think will produce how you see. So I don't look at women in lust not because I'm not supposed to do that, but because I love my wife. That is drastically different. Do you see what I'm saying? Y'all with me? Because I've just offended everybody in the room, which is exactly what I wanted to do to go into this next part. Okay, so, because I love you, right? I, I love y'all. I, I would, it would be wrong of me to be a spiritual father sitting here and say, here's how we're going to be happy today. No, I'm gonna, here's how we're going to be us who cares if you try to toil your way into happiness because as we see around us, it does not work. You cannot work hard enough to be happy. You can't have enough money to be happy. You can't have enough relationships to be happy. You can't have enough drinks to be happy. You can't do it. People try and they fail and they're more miserable than they were before they ever started trying. Martha, Martha, you're worried about a thousand things, but one thing is necessary and it's what Mary is doing. What is Mary doing? She's doing this. Right? And we thought we were going to reach the world by burning it at both ends. No, 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 no. The way we're going to reach the world is by being convinced that we're actually sons and daughters of God because none of us are convinced of that. I'm not. I'm closer than I've ever been. You know what I'm saying? But that's how we're going to change the world. And we got, listen, we got people, Lord, 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 how are we here? We got people in the, in the church that are burning it trying to do work burning it trying to do ministry, burning it trying to serve, while their interior world is crumbling. This is, the, this is the system right here, crumbling. And we teach people to be things that we aren't, right? And just burning it and burning it and burning it and burning it and burning it. And then all of a sudden we wonder why we're miserable. We wonder why our relationships are failing. We wonder why we don't want to spend time with the Lord. We wonder why we're always exhausted. But at least we're burning it and reaching a thousand people. And what Jesus is saying is, I need you to become a son or daughter. And you being a son or daughter will overflow out of rest into a measure of ministry that you could never do while you were trying to do ministry. 
This is why we don't do a ton of things. This weekend is the first thing we've done outside of Sundays and Tuesdays in a while. And it's not because I don't love events. It's because, uh, one, I'm exhausted after this stuff, okay, which is fine. But two, it's because if we get into this place where we're living event for event for event for event for event, then we have royally missed this. You know what I'm saying? Sunday should be seed for you to have encounters Monday through Saturday that makes Sunday worship look like chump change. All right, so the first hurdle for us is understanding that the whole of history, as it relates to us and as it relates to God, it's not about actions. It's not about action. It's about who we are, okay? It's always been about who we are, that we forgot and he traded everything to restore and remind us of. That's the first hurdle. It is necessary for us to understand that. It is illegal for us to ever, ever attempt to spread a gospel until we're convinced of everything I just said. It is illegal for me to sit here and teach you a gospel until I am so convinced in my guts that it was identity, not works, that he was aiming at. It, it, I mean, it, it has killed so many thousands and millions of people in denominations and different movements killed them by telling them to burn it, burn your fingers to the bone, make sure your paperwork's in order so that when he comes back for the rapture, you'll be ready. And, and while we're doing that, and while people are just burning it up, all of a sudden, they're dying to who they really are, which can only come by way of rest, Right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'm going to give you a great volunteer opportunity. No? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, King James, and I will give you rest. Huh? So, it's necessary to understand that. If we miss that, we no longer have a gospel. We have a pagan religion of karma. Most, listen, and, and listen, I'm not knocking anything, but we're not live streaming today, so I can't. Most of our churches today are not churches of Jesus. They're churches of karma. The, the thing that separates us and the religions of the world is that the religions of the world are based on achieving another better identity by way of karma. Do this, you get this, do that, and you get that. Our kingdom is based on us laying down our achieving and waking up to the reality of who we were before we took a breath. But how, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to that reality if it's not by way of the works of our hands? Do we just exist and fizzle out our days doing absolutely nothing? Paul says, certainly not. The grace received by way of a works-based response is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. Cheap because if Jesus simply died for giving forever the actions of sin, what we describe as that, wrongly. All we are called to do is mind our actions. And if we're being honest, do whatever we want, because after all, Jesus will forgive our actions. This is the same moral code of religion, but with Jesus's blood rather than animal blood. Same thing. And here, here, let me just dive real deep into this. Here, you're free in this, in this cheap grace. You're free to live out your days chasing, you know, careers and relationships and money and every other cheap thing because you repeated a prayer. And by that, by that, your bad actions are looked over so you'll be in heaven one day when you die 
And what you do until then really doesn't matter because you did what you were supposed to do, which is repeat a prayer, got your lies and addictions and all that stuff covered. And that Christianity is based on whether or not my sin actions are covered. This is, this is what we do. It's, it's, this is how you can compartmentalize God is by viewing it through works. He came to undo my bad actions. So if he came to undo my bad actions, then all I've got to do is make sure I'm doing better actions. Right? And if I'm doing better actions, then I can slide God right here in this compartment called, I'm going to act better. But then what I do with the rest of my life is up to me, and I can do whatever I want as long as I make sure that compartment stays dusted. Right? This is exactly what you can do. And this is exactly what most people do. So I can chase everything I want. I can chase whatever I want because I repeated that prayer and I'm in. But if Jesus came not to cover our actions alone, but to pull out of us our true and rightful identity, which of course includes covering our actions to do so, there's only one response that will suffice to that. Lay down your life identity and follow me identity. This is what he calls costly grace. This is the only actual true response. You cannot have faith without obedience. You can't. You don't have faith without obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to the call of Jesus to follow you can't follow on your own terms because you, without Jesus, is still in delusion. Only in Jesus do we see who we really are. Amen? Only in Jesus. So we can't follow Jesus on our own terms because we're in the driver's seat. We're the ones that drove us into delusion. Right? It's only in Jesus that we see who we really are. Therefore, you cannot have faith, which is pistis, which comes from Jesus, unless you're obedient to follow Jesus and leave everything that used to define you in order to follow Jesus. Y'all with me? Okay. Now remember, remember, I'm going to keep reminding you of this. Because if you're not careful, when I say leave everything, you're going to process that because it's what we've done for 20 or 30 years as works. I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about identity, okay? So to leave the things of Adam without dying to the identity of Adam is absolutely useless, right? However, leaving or dying to Adam's identity to follow Jesus's identity, which is who we are, will produce a distaste for Adam's things and a passion for Jesus's things. Let me say this one more time, okay? So to leave the things of Adam, the works of Adam, without dying to the identity of Adam, useless. However, leaving or dying to the identity of Adam to follow the identity of Jesus will produce a distaste for the things of Adam and a passion for the things of Jesus. Y'all with me? Okay, just write that down and think about it on the way home, and I promise it'll hit. Okay, Luke 9, let me, let me just read this, verses 57 through 62, okay? Very odd text to preach on, and normally I would not do this had it not been for the Lord. So, 
Um, it's a very, very odd text, and, um, but it's really, really important for what we're doing today. So I'm going to read this in two different translations. I'm going to start with the NIV. Let me take a drink of this first. All right. Over this weekend, I've drank 80 cups of coffee and about zero cups of water. So <clears throat> verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He, Jesus, said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Resurrection. Verse 61. Still another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He's pointing to Elisha. I'm going to make that reference in just a second. Now, let me read this in another translation. All right. Luke 9. Where's Luke 9? Here it is. Luke 9, verse 57 through, what did I say? 63. Okay. If I can find it. <clears throat> I marked the wrong uh, chapter in my Bible. Luke 9, 57. I want you to hear this. Hear this. Hear this. On their way, a certain man said to him, Jesus, I will accompany you wherever you go. Jesus answered him, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but we're not sure where we'll sleep tonight. Okay? Uh, so a certain man, according to Matthew, was a scribe. So I think it's really important for you to understand. The men in this story are the religious leaders. Huge. Okay? So this man, according to Matthew 8, 19, Matthew tells us is a scribe. Okay, so uh, verse 59, he said to another person, why don't you accompany me? Follow me. The man responded, I will eventually once I no longer need to take care of my father and after I've buried him. Verse 60, your mission, Jesus says, is to awaken people out of their spiritual slumber with the good news not to bury them. There will be enough others to bury the dead. Verse 61, another person said, I will first have to manage my responsibilities at home. Jesus replied, once you've engaged the oxen and the plow, then your focus on the line of the furrow does not allow any distraction. Okay, so let me just uh, mark my place in this and put this back here. I promise you I'm going to get a bigger table one day. Verse, or... Uh, Number one, let me just point this out. So according to Matthew 8, 19, I just said this. The first man is a scribe. So let me talk about the first man. Uh, we can assume that all these other ones are religious ones in some capacity. This man wants to follow Jesus without waiting for Jesus to call him. Okay? A man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. This man wants to follow Jesus without waiting for Jesus to call him. Jesus' response to the man is essentially saying, you don't know what you are saying. This is not the glam and glitz of the religious thing. This will actually cost you everything. So the man says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand what you're talking about. 
which being a religious one, something that cost you everything, whose life was built on what you become by what you do, this would not have worked. And if you notice, the man did not respond. It was as if when Jesus makes this statement, foxes have den, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When Jesus says that, he says, oh, yeah, actually, you're right. I don't know what I'm talking about. All right, y'all have fun. You know what I'm saying? This is a, this is a man who wants to follow Jesus before he's called. Because the call to obedience requires such a price, the authentic and origination of the call must come from Jesus, not our ambitions. Okay? Because the call to obedience requires such a price. What's the price? You lay down everything. And by the way, I'm not talking about ministry. These, these guys weren't saying, let me follow you, as in let me be one of the 12. Let me, let's make it 13. That's not what he's saying. He's, he's simply saying what we would call salvation. Right? He's saying, no, let me just follow you. I want to be where you're going. I want to be what you're doing. I want to hear what you're saying. That's what he's saying, okay? So he's saying, let me follow you. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand what you're talking about. This is going to cost you everything. And for somebody whose life was built on retaining everything, that is a big step, right? So wanted to follow, wanted to be in this salvation we would call lifestyle without first understanding what he was asking for without first waiting for the call. So because the obedience requires such a price, the authentic and original call must come from Jesus, not our ambitions. Remember what I taught you about faith? Pistis. Pistis, faith, comes from God that we live in by way of trust. I can't build up faith. In the English, I can, because the English word for faith just simply means, you know, believing a lot. You know what I'm saying? But in, in the understanding of Greek... Uh, the word that is translated faith, and I like the complete Jewish Bible translates it trust, way more accurate. But the, the idea of faith, I can't produce faith. I cannot produce faith. I can't just conjure up enough belief to where all of a sudden I see the sick killed or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Faith comes from God, right? So the reason that the call to follow must come from him is, number one, faith comes from him. So the call comes faith. The, the call is accompanied by faith, right? But number two is because if the Lord is going to call us to lay down everything and follow, right, it's going to have to come from a place where we receive such a measure of faith that we can trust when we actually start to lose everything. And what am I talking about when losing everything? I'm talking about everything that used to define you is now being stripped away. I'm talking about you used to live your life for this and the Lord is so stripping that away until you're okay with living a life for this. This is what I'm, this is what I'm talking about. Okay, so that's man number one. Man number two, this man is actually called by Jesus. Okay, Jesus said to another man, follow me, right? He's called by Jesus, but he's held down by the law and what he must do first it's, it's almost like he's saying, let me first fulfill the law, and then I'll follow. Okay, This works-based legal orientation of his thinking, probably, as we can all assume, a religious leader, as a religious leader, this works-based way of thinking becomes the very barrier 
between him becoming everything that he's ever been and him remaining enslaved. Jesus says, follow me. Amazing, I want to. But first, I've got to do this. Right? Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, you don't want to fulfill the law. Follow me. Follow me. Don't do, become. Right? He's saying, or I, I said that wrong. Jesus is telling this man, if you want to fulfill the law, follow me. Right? Follow me. I can't. I've got to do this first. No, 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 no. If you want to become what you're working really hard to be, follow me, and you'll become it by way of inheriting your identity, not by way of what you're doing. Okay? And if you notice, that man also did not respond. Okay? Now let's look at man number three. This is almost like a culmination of the first two. I'm almost done. Number three. This man is similar to the first in that he initiates the call. So Jesus didn't call him. He calls Jesus. The difference here is that, is that he wants the call on his own terms. He says, I'll follow you, but there are some things I've got to do. So, so similar to this third religious man are the brothers and sisters that we have in our current culture. Everyone has an I'll follow you, but... And really what that is saying is, I'll follow you and, right? Amazing, Jesus, I'll follow you, but I also have got to do this, right? Lord, I'll follow you, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you want to go, but I've, I've also got to do this because this is my responsibilities. Or this is, what I, this is what I went to school for. Or this is what I you know, have, have bought into, whatever the case may be, Right? But Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, that you cannot serve two masters. That's what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 24. If there is an unwillingness to be undivided, which goes back to last night, but if there's a will, an unwillingness to be undivided, to be singular, it is because that which follows the but, right? I'll follow you, but. That which follows the but is actually our real master, Right? If, if Jesus was our master, it would be, I'll follow. But religion covers up its obscurity of identity by masking its true God with works, right? I'll follow you, but I must do this also. Or I'll follow you, Lord, I want to do whatever you want. But man, this is a great opportunity. I've got to take mine, but on the way, I'll also follow you. Right? You know what I'm saying? And, and really what this is saying is, I'm going to chase blank and make it sound better by adding, oh yeah, and I'm going to follow you. So, so you, see, you see what this man does? He says, I'll follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, this is why this is so huge. Jesus responds and says, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service. Now, that is so random unless you know the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah runs to Mount Carmel. He is depressed, asking the Lord to kill him, suicidal, all this stuff. And then the Lord meets him and says, Where, what are you doing here? Go call Jehu. Go call another king. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to go find Elisha to succeed you as your spiritual son. So he leaves. He goes back. And the first person he goes to, he actually never goes and anoints the other kings. Elisha, his spiritual son, does. 
right? But he goes and he finds Elisha. And what is Elisha doing? He's plowing. He's plowing. And Elijah comes by, does the coat thing. It's really weird if you don't know the culture. But does the, you know, rubs his coat over him, all that stuff. And Elisha says, awesome, I'm going to follow you. But first, let me go do this. And Elijah says, what have I done to you? And then Elisha responds. He goes back. He takes all of his equipment, his plows, all of it. You know what he does? All the animals he slaughters, and he burns the equipment and follows Elijah. In other words, I'm going to follow you, and there is no but for me to go back to. And you know who Elijah was? Elisha was double what Elijah was. He received a double portion, right? So this is what Jesus is saying. This man says, who is a religious leader who would have known the story of Elijah and Elisha, probably memorized it, right? I'll follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no, you don't remember what happened to Elisha? You've got to make that decision to do this. Y'all with me? Now, no, no, no. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to end with this. This is my last page of notes. Compare those three responses to that that I'm about to read you of Simon Peter. Now, I want you to remember that, okay? Three, three guys, three religious ones. The first man is like, you know, Lord, I want to follow you, but I want to do it on my own terms. And Jesus is saying, you don't know what you're talking about, right? The second man, Jesus says, follow me. And he says, no, 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 I've got stuff to do in order to earn that spot, right? So I can't do that. The last person says, I want to follow you, but I want to do it on my own terms. I've got stuff I need to accomplish with my life. I got a dream. I got passions. I got goals. And I'll follow you, but as long as I can keep those things too, right? And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. If you would follow me, I'll show you what your real dreams and passions are. And it's going to make these pale in comparison. The man doesn't do it, right? Now, let's go to Luke 5. And let me, let me show you some bad to the ever-loving bone stuff right here. All right, Luke 5. Now, check this out, verse 1, and I'm going to read this in both translations as well. Wait till you hear what this says. One day, Jesus was standing on the lake, <clears throat> uh, Sea of Galilee is what that lake is. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one boat, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little further from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people on the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deeper water and let the nets down for a catch. I taught on this a few weeks ago. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We have worked hard all night. And haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they did, of course, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They were able to do something by way of the word of the Lord they could not do by way of the work of their hands. Salah. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and fulfilled, or excuse me, filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now check this out. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Why are you a sinful man? Because religion told me if I don't get something good, it's because I'm bad. Karma, right? So because we worked all night and we didn't catch anything, but you said go and catch, and we caught everything, you're good, but I'm not, right? So leave me, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch 
of the fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner, who were also eventually called. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And I'm going to interject something right here that's in Mark 1.17 in the same story. Okay, In Mark 1.17 right here, Mark writes, Jesus said, follow me. So let me say it like this. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Follow me. Now check this out. Tell me, listen to how different this is. Different this is. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Left everything. Now, what are you talking about? Peter was just a fisherman. No, you don't understand. Peter was loaded. Peter had an enterprise as a fisherman. Peter was the top dog. You know what I'm saying? So for him to leave everything is not, well, bros, just stop, stop fishing on a Saturday. Come follow me. No, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, Peter, let me just read. Let me read it. Let me read it. Let me read it. Let me read it. I'm about to butcher it. Y'all with me? That's all right. The Lord is. So that's good. All right. Luke chapter 5. Check this out. Check this out. Okay. Um, Simon responded, Captain Jesus, we've toiled all through the night and caught nothing, but mirrored in your word. It's the Greek word. I'm not going to go real deep into that right now. But in your word, I will let down the net. They did this. They trapped a massive school of fish so large their hall that their nets began to tear. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and assist them. When they arrived, they filled both vessels to capacity, which almost sank the boats. Okay. Witnessing this, Simon fell on his knees, began to beg Jesus to leave him. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Right? This is, this is religion. Verse 9, these people who were sea folks all their lives have never witnessed a catch like this in their wildest dreams. Simon and everyone there on that day were totally overcome with awe. His partners, James and John, sons of Zebedee, were equally astonished. Then Jesus said to Simon, you have nothing to fear. From now on, you will likewise be catching people. Now, check this out. 511. Then after bringing their boats to land, they, who was they, Simon and the rest, departed from everything that defined them before and followed him. Not, is, is that not the baddest thing you've ever heard? Like, they, they, it wasn't just like, all right, well, brother, we'll follow you. What, no, no, no. What the Greek word there is saying is, is when Peter and Simon at that time, when Simon and the rest got to shore, they left everything and followed him. Everything that had defined them in their guts, they laid aside and followed him. Unless you lose your life, you'll never find it. Right? Jesus calls Simon. He calls Simon, which births faith within him to believe and Simon responds by leaving everything that had once defined him and followed. In Mark 1.17, Jesus says in the Greek, he says this, Come to me where I am, and I will make you become who you really are, a fisher of men. Let me read this one more time. I don't want to skip this, okay? This is my la- I got two notes left, and then a lot of rabbits, maybe, but... Okay, just, just hang with me, hang with me, hang with me, right? Mark 1.17, I'm going to read this straight from the Greek and translate it into English. It says, come to me, Jesus is saying this to Simon, 
Come to me where I am, and I will make you become who you really are, a fisher, not of fish, but of men. Simon, Simon leaves everything behind him, and he goes with Jesus in a discovery of what his business never provided him, who God knit him together as. His mother named him Simon. But Jesus named him Peter, which I would argue is the name that God gave him before his mother's womb, his mother's womb. God knew Simon as Peter before his mother knew Simon as Simon. Right? I mean, you don't get that on a Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus says, hey, Simon, your mom called you Simon. But I know who you are. You're Peter. You're the rock. Not just the rock. You're the one I'm going to build this thing on. Why? Because there was a moment. Now, I, want you, I, just, I, I need you to hear this. Okay? Peter was, had an enterprise of fishing. Okay? Just imagine uh, Tim Cook, Apple CEO, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Just this big enterprise. And Jesus showing up and him saying, follow me. And him walking into the office of the other directors and saying, here's my resignation. Y'all have a good day. And leaving, right? No, not because it's up. Now, now, here's the equivalent of that. Simon, Simon lays down the enterprise that had been built by way of his own ambition. And then he inherits another identity, Peter, rock. And he becomes the rock of, to this day, the ecclesia. Our church is built on the rock of Simon Peter and Christ. Christ through Simon Peter, whatever you want to say. You know what I'm saying? So what we're doing today, Simon in his life had a mind of being a famous fisherman. Jesus knew who Simon really was, which was Peter, the one that was going to be poured out into the rest of the globe until the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. The Lord has dreams for you that you don't have for you. And here's the dangerous part. Now, no, 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 wait. Don't say amen. No, 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 no. Because what you just heard was, I'm going to do amazing things. I'd stop. Right? You might, you're going to do amazing things, but you will not do amazing things until you know who you are. God's dream for you is not for you to have great assignments. I hate that word in the church right now. Hate it. Because here's what we'll do. Let me just do it right here. You got to be on stage to do it. All right. The Lord has an, has an assignment for your life. And it's good. And you're going to reach thousands. And you're going to be big. And it's your assignment that the Lord is bringing out. Does that sound familiar, right? Just go on Instagram right now. You find it. Right? And bro, I'm, not, I'm not shooting things down. But I am. Because the assignment over your life is not for you to become something big by way of what you do. The assignment over your life is to be so convinced of who you are that even if you don't do another thing the rest of your life, you're completely fulfilled. But in that fulfillment, something begins to overflow out of your identity that the works of your hands could never produce. Do you see this? Jesus, for 30 years, was a carpenter hidden that nobody knew about. For 30 years, he was hidden until there was a baptism 
where he heard the whisper, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the next three years, he was not building tables. The next three years, he was raising people from the dead. Which was initiated by this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It is illegal for us to try to go speak to Lazarus until we're convinced of the whisper, this is my son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Right? What religion wants us to do is go around screaming at Lazarus until he gets out of a grave. And when he doesn't get out of a grave, we pretend like he got out of a grave so that we can post it on Instagram so everybody think we have great ministries healing. You know what I'm saying? Right? We, we've traded actual healing for telling people to sit down and seeing which leg's short. Right? I saw a video the other day. Somebody sent me. I was like, my, my God. You know what I'm saying? Jesus was raising people from the dead. We're fixing people's shoes. Here's what I'm telling you. 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 If we can get to the place where we are convinced of who we are, if we can get to the place where we're convinced, we won't settle for that junk. Well, we won't settle until we can speak to the dead of creation. And I'm not talking about people who are physically dead. Maybe that too. I'm talking about the death in our culture right now that is spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and reproducing as the same kind and of the same kind. And we aren't producing because we don't even know who we are. Right? And so when we get to the place where when Jesus comes into the picture and he says, Follow me, and we don't say, amazing, I want to follow it, but I got something to do. I got an assignment over my life. I, man, I got, I got an assignment I've got to just do, and Lord, you gave me this call. No, no, no. When he comes and says, follow me, you say, you know what? I thought I knew what I wanted for my life, but I'm going to follow you and discover what I really want for my life. I mean, this is major stuff. Why, man, why am I saying this stuff? Because, like, I have, a, I have a passion for us to be the church of Jesus Christ. What I do not have a passion for is for us to be a really important, relevant church that's really big in influence and really big in social media and really big on making people look at what we're doing. I want us to get to the place where we're praying for the sick and we don't have to tell anybody about it for us to feel better about us praying for the sick. Because that's my story. I'm speaking as somebody who, who did that recently. I used to find my identity in praying over somebody, watching them get better, and then going and telling somebody so that I could feel better about the fact that I just prayed for somebody because my works were good. That's me. I've done that. And the Lord has sent me down a trail where suddenly I can pray over somebody. It does nothing for my identity. And what happens when it does nothing for my identity is suddenly I can look at them and not see them as an opportunity to do a good work, but instead see them as a son or daughter who God loves as well as he loves me. And now I'm aiming on an even deeper level, which is the woman with the issue of blood. She gets completely healed. And Jesus doesn't go and say, amazing, this is awesome, the healing ministry is kicked off. He goes to the woman with the issue of blood, and he says, daughter, whom? Right? The woman with the issue of blood. Who was that? The one that religion has said was scum her whole life. And now she's staring in the face of Abba through Jesus, and she's staring in his eyes and expecting to receive your scum, like the rest of religion, stares in his eyes. And can you imagine the feeling when he says, daughter, you want to talk about healing? At that moment, if you went to that woman and say, now what did Jesus do for you? I would, I would dare say she would not say he healed me of my issue of blood. I would dare say that in that moment, I've never felt more loved 
Oh, and also my issue of Globus Healed. This is huge, 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 huge for us because the Lord is pouring out. I don't know if, how many people y'all are praying for in your life. The Lord is pouring out a measure of glory in us right now that we're inheriting by way of the secret place that is rocking people's worlds, if you'll see it. But, it is, but it's, it's not by the works of our hands. It's because we're finally being convinced of who we are. You know what I mean? Let me just, let me just say one more thing. Let me say one more thing before I close. Um, so the way, the way that we have kept people in the church for years has been uh, two things, two things. Number one, give them a good show, um, which attracted them, but then we found out people only like a good show until they get used to it, and then they don't really care about the good show, Right. Um, so we realized what, what keeps people a lot longer than the show is fear. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to preach a gospel that's based on hell so that they'll stay here, right? What happened during COVID was that all these churches were shut down. And all of a sudden, that which we kept people in the doors by way of was shut up. And what we have found now is, oh, man, suddenly people are not leaving, because God shut up the fear thing, right? And so once numbers started going down, all the leaders got together and said, we got to get this thing kicking and fast because everybody's leaving. We got to get the train rolling. And, and what the Lord during this season is stopping everything to say is he's saying, there's another gospel, there's another way And if you'll have eyes to see and ears to hear, this one does not come by way of fear of punishment. You know what John says? Perfect love drives out fear because fear comes with it, the fear of punishment. Right? And we've kept people in the doors by way of fear of punishment. So subconsciously and subsequently, what we've not preached is God is love. Because if we actually preach God is love, we couldn't preach the fear thing anymore because love drives out that fear. So the reason we don't preach God is love is because that message drives out the very thing that we've kept people in the doors by way of. You see what I'm saying, right? So so we can't preach God is love. So here's what we're gonna do is we're gonna preach everybody do this and maybe they'll encounter God is love, right? But in order to keep people in, we're gonna preach hell and we're gonna preach it hot and we're gonna preach it hard. You know what I'm saying? And here's the issue. Here's the issue is that the cross was not a demonstration of God saying, either you accept this and you start acting better and you get your paperwork in order or else there is something coming that you are, you are going to be beat to ever-loving crud by. Nope. This is what I said last night, which is this is God saying, before you were born, Father, Son, and Spirit made the choice to love you without consulting you. Let me, Matt, go ahead and come up here. Come up here. Come up here. Come up here. Y'all good? Who's offended? Amen. Okay. So, <laughs> Lord, um, we, um, me and Jordan, let me say it like this. I'm going to end with this, this story last night. Veda had no choice in whether or not she was born, right? Veda had no say. No say which is our daughter, if you don't know who Veda is. She had no say. 
So before Veda existed, or before Veda was incarnate, became flesh. Don't make that weird. Before she was that, Jordan and I made the decision that we were going to make room in our relationship for another. That decision had to be made before she came into the picture. We made that decision. Veda didn't make that decision. She was a consequence of that decision, but she did not make that decision. We did, right? And so what happened is Jordan and I, we make the decision that we're going to include another in our relationship. And the way that that gets included is that mine and Jordan's relationship becomes so intimate. Don't make this weird. Becomes so intimate that it produces the one that we made the choice to include in that relationship, Salah. Father, Son, and Spirit is existing in such an intimacy that a space is made and that spins off you and I. Okay? We we made the decision that we are going to include Veda. Veda is born. She's included in that. She's our daughter. She's not our daughter because of what she's done. She's our daughter because we say she's our daughter, period. Right? Now, here's where that gets funky is that what happens when lately she starts um, having temper tantrums and not wanting to do what she wants to do and wanting to do what she doesn't want to do, Paul, and, uh, you know, uh, Romans 7. And um, so, but what, ha- what happens when she starts doing that? Do, do Jordan and I have this meeting where we say, you know what, she's kind of been acting up lately. And so I, I think we need to cut her off. This is not what we thought. Be careful. Now, if we did that, if Jordan and I did that, would you guys call us amazing parents or would you seek the authorities to have us put in prison? You say we're horrible parents, right? Right? So, so, in that, what, what you guys just said, not me, is that God is a horrible parent. If that's, if that's who he is. If God is the parent that when we don't act right, Father, Son, and Spirit have a council, they get together and say, you know what? This person hasn't been acting right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut them off. And they better get back. No. What, what, do, what do Jordan and I do when Veda starts acting up? We don't cut her off. We envelop her in such a measure of love that it reminds her that this is actually not who she really is. But her parents know who she is because we're the ones that made her. We're the ones that had the idea to bring her into the earth. Right? We know who she is. Her actions, let me help you. Her actions can never change the fact that she's our daughter. Never. Why? Because her existence did not come by way of her actions. Her existence came by way of mine and Jordan's decision to produce her. Y'all with me? It is illegal for us to think that we have so much authority that there is something that we could do by the works of our hands to separate us from God. Who, by the way, we exist within. 
illegal. Yet that's how we view God. That's why we feel bad when we don't act right. It's because somewhere deep down in our guts, we think that because I just made that decision, suddenly there's separation now. Right? Because we view God as a God who is angry, ready to cut us off the minute we mess up. And instead, what we're sliding into right now, almost by accident, not by accident to him, but for us, what we're coming into right now is a revelation that what we just saying, I wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I could do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. <laughs> huh? You, Lord, you would cross an ocean so I wouldn't drown. Right? And we're inheriting what that means. We're stopping and saying, wait, what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean that Father, Son, and Spirit chose us in love before one thing was created? That means before he said, let there be light, you and I were chosen to be loved and included with God before we ever had a say-so. That, that, is, that is massive. And now you see why Jesus was so aiming at the Pharisees and so not aiming at the tax collectors, right? The Pharisees were the ones teaching all the people that God was exactly what I just told you. And Jesus comes and says, that is not what my Abba is like. But if you've seen me, you've seen him. I mean, right? Philip, Philip, Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, everything will be okay. We'll, we'll have it figured out. And Jesus said, you've seen the Father because you've seen me. Uh, that is a state. That's what got him killed right there. That, that's a statement that got him killed. It was not the miracles. It was the statements like, Abba. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Who is this man to call God Abba, Dad? And he's telling everybody else to do it. And then he makes a statement, if you've seen me, you've seen God. What? That's what gets him killed. And then on the cross, he looks at him and says, Father, forgive them. And he says, oh, and by the way, if you didn't know this, when I made the statement, if you've seen me, you've seen God at your core, you should be in such a place of identity that you can look at everybody else and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh-oh, right? He became man. He became sin so that we could become what he was, so that we could be reminded that we are what he was. So let me pray. Let me pray. And if you missed last night, please go back and listen to it because it will bring so much context to today. But when I pray, I want to pray over this, this understanding that God would allow us a pliability to actually receive what he's trying to give us right now. Because if, we're, if, we're, if we miss this, Lord, we're missing something huge. Y'all bow your heads. Y'all bow your heads. Lord, I pray right now that this, this, this message, no, 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 I wanna fix that. That this understanding, this unveiling of what you are aiming at I pray that this would be so rooted in our guts that it begins to give birth to something that is so substantial that we finally start operating like we know who we are. That same Peter 
who Jesus says, follow me, and he follows. The same Peter is the one in Acts that is so overshadowed by God that his shadow is healing everybody he walks past. And that's what we're destined for. That's what I'm destined for. I've been praying this for years. We've been praying this for years. That when people pull into the city of Columbia, everything within them that does not belong is suddenly healed. And they don't even know how it happened. They don't even know what happened. But there is such a presence over this city that things begin to so explode that it is a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That people in this city will not have to struggle with who they are, will not have to struggle what they identify with, will not have to struggle with what their truth is because they've come into such a light of the truth that it'll make our truth and what we've called light pale in comparison to it. Lord, I believe we're in a 500-year moment. I said this last night, but every 500 years in the church, there is a major shift, a major shift. Most of those have been negative. Some of those have been good every 500 years. And 500 years ago, the month before we started this church, 500 years ago was the 500-year Reformation anniversary. Martin Luther nailing the 99 Theses to the door in Wittenberg, that, the 500-year anniversary. Right now, we're in the middle of Yahweh wanting to do another shift. I believe that with everything in me. And what is it? I believe Yahweh so loves the West in particular that he has raised up a handful, a remnant of sons and daughters that are willing to say, wait a minute, maybe what we viewed about the Father has not been 100% right. And then in viewing that, we inherit the new wine that's going to become the, the expanding of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covering the West as the waters cover the sea. I just, I believe that with everything in me. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that. We will be the first fruits of that. And so we say yes once again in your name. Amen.